message yet. Should have been in your little, what do you call them, bulletins, right? Talked about what the big guy upstairs is asking all of us to do, right? So me, I'm here, I've got 15 minutes or so to get you all up to snuff so you can go out there and do what needs to be done. You can call me Agent B. Okay? So here's the problem. All of you guys have come in here looking like you belong and like you should be here. Well, I've got an issue with that because the fact of the matter is this job, this, this mission is not an easy one and some of you have too many smiles on your faces. You're going out into a mission field, a mission world. Are you laughing at me? Now, I have 20 minutes to teach you guys what you need to know. Somebody else want to laugh? We'll make it 30. The fact of the matter is, right, church, that we do have a job that we've been given that we're supposed to do. And sadly, too often, we get it mixed up with other missions. Not necessarily bad missions. We just switch the missions around a little bit. Today, I'd like to teach you about the only mission I know of in Scripture that Jesus himself commands for us to do. It happens a couple different places in Scripture. Matthew 28, Mark 16, and then again in Romans 10, that's not Jesus speaking, that's Paul at that point, but it's the same idea. And the fact of the matter is, if you read your little statement there, don't worry, it's not going to self-destruct. I did not spend the money to get paper that will ignite on fire without me having to do something. However, it is the most important mission that you have ever been given and ever will be given far more important than anything else in this life. Andy, there are, I believe, three slides of Scripture. Hit up the first one there. I've got to get to it, too, because I have three different uh, spots in Scripture here. Most of you are going to know these verses, at least the first section. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee in the mountain Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Go to the next one. Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 16. We're going to read a very similar thing. Mark 16, verses 14 through 16. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he, re and he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Finally, if you flip over to... Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. It reads like this. 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him who they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Let's not beat around the bush at all. Your job, your primary job as a believer is what? To preach the gospel. Now see, too often we get wrapped up in a lot of things, and please do not misunderstand me. I've been the pastor here for four years, and I've preached a lot of messages about how we should live our lives and stuff like that, right? I'm not saying the Bible doesn't talk about all of that stuff. It does. I am saying, though, that the last thing Jesus tells, and remember, if it's the last thing somebody says, it's the thing they want you to remember. The last thing Jesus says to his disciples before he leaves this earth is what? Go and tell people about me. Not go and tell people all about their sin. Not go and vote Republican. Not go and do this or go and do that that you like. It's go and preach the gospel. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying, I'm not going to say you should vote Republican or Democrat. I'd be in prison if I tried to tell that. But the fact of the matter is, I'm not saying that we shouldn't call out sin when we see it, right? I'm not standing up here and going, let people just live what they want to live. And, you know, if they want to sin, let them sin. It doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is, nowhere are we called to go and tell sinners about all of their sin. We are told to go and tell the church and work each with each other, right? We read about that last week when we finished up James and talked about confessing sin to each other. You see, the fact of the matter is, God really didn't want us going and telling unbelievers about their sin because we're really bad at it. We just push them away from Christ when we do that. Instead, what he says is, go and preach the gospel, Jesus Christ, you need a savior, this is the savior, and then let Jesus deal with the sin. Let him handle that part. Because if you are, it's the same idea, right, where Jesus is like, let he who has no sin cast the first stone. We Christians love to start chucking stones at people. Meanwhile, Jesus is standing off to the side writing in the dirt. He's not asking us to throw stones. He's asking us to preach the gospel. So let's talk about it a little bit. Let's break it down. First off, number one, there's four on your note sheet, right? Number one, go. It's in action. Both times he says, go. Now, he says go into all the world, so let's talk about, uh, that's also number two on your note sheets. We're going to combine those a little bit. Go, and number two is the world, right? So first off, go is an action term, right? If I said, not if I said, I'm not a parent. So, if my dad says, go and mow the lawn, right, when I was 16, go and mow the lawn. Is it possible for me to mow the lawn while still sitting on my butt in front of the television? I wish it was. It was not. Spoiler alert. I had to get up, go and start the lawnmower, put gas in it if it needed gas. And if it needed gas, it's because the person who mowed the lawn last time didn't fill it with gas when he was done. And then mow the lawn. It's an action. Go is an action. It's a verb. You are not supposed to sit on your hands. The unsaved, the unbeliever, pick whatever term you would like to, are not coming 
to you. You need to go to them. Because here's the thing. Most unbelievers don't either don't want to hear it, right? Or don't realize they need to hear it. If I think, I've, I've needed tutoring in one class in school. It was trigonometry. But my first day of trigonometry, my math teacher, Mr. Paul Sokolowski, stood up in front of the class and went, forget everything you have learned about math in your previous 10 years of math. It doesn't apply to trig. And I went, well, what the heck is this? I was already not great at math, and now I can't even you fall back on the stuff I already knew. If I looked at it and went, we're doing pretty good in trig, I'm fine. I wouldn't go and seek tutoring if I thought I was doing okay. Now, thankfully, I could look at my grades and go, I'm not doing okay, need some help. But the problem is most unbelievers in this world, I'm not saying all, because God does sometimes work in an unbeliever's heart and bring them to a place where they go, I need a savior, and they seek you out. But it is rare. So for most believer, unbelievers, though, they go, I don't need a savior. I don't steal. I don't lie most of the time. I've never committed adultery. I've never murdered somebody. I've never done this or that. I live a good life. I give to charities. I don't skimp on my taxes. I do all this. Like, I'm a good person. I don't need a savior. I'm a good person. So they don't realize what they need. Therefore, it is up to us to go. Now, you might say, Pastor, if you were going, how are we going to tell them they need a savior unless we point them to their sin, right? So we need to point them to their sin. No. You do need to point them to the fact that they're a sinner. But God has not asked us to go to somebody and go, now, I have a list of every sin you've committed right here. Shall I read them out to you? That's not what he's asking us to do. He is asking us to go. Get off our butts. Don't rest on our laurels. Don't be like, you could sit here and go, wow, we've got a pastor who sometimes does stupid stunts in the beginning of sermons. We've got a good worship team. We've got a great kids ministry. We've got air conditioning and heat in the winter. We've got all this stuff. Why wouldn't they come through the doors? And nobody's going to walk through those doors. It is up to us, all of us as believers, to go into the world. Now let's talk about the world here for a second. Because when I was a kid, I was like, I don't want to be a missionary. I've been overseas, and well, not technically overseas. It's Dominican Republic and Mexico and such. But I've been in other countries. I've seen the poverty. I've seen the, the I've seen it. I've looked across the border into Haiti and been dismayed at what it looks like. I've seen it. I don't want to go there. I like where I'm at. When I was training to be a pastor, I said I either want to go back to my hometown or go into the northern Virginia area because I still then get four seasons. They're just not quite the same as the four seasons we get here. They're a little bit different, right? Now, I'm very thankful. God said, all right, I'll send you home. I'm very thankful for that. So the fact of the matter is that the whole world, to me, is not the seven continents and the hundreds of countries in the world. It is Milford, Halstead, Great Bend, Susquehanna, Montrose, right? It's this area. My world is like a 20-mile radius from right here. And I'm called to go into it and preach the gospel. 
My world, I would say my job, but my job is this. So I do go. Your job is maybe, uh, not maybe, I don't believe that any of your job happens to be in the church. So therefore, that's part of your world in a far more reaching place than I could ever get. Your world are your neighbors. I've heard some people, not you guys and stuff like that, but I've heard people go, well, if only I could get them to talk to my pastor, they would come to church. No. Why don't you get them to talk to you and you bring them to church? I can't get them to come to church any better than you could because you know them better than I do. The world is not necessarily the world. Now, the gospel has spread throughout the entirety of the world, right? But the world that it's talking about right there is not necessarily the globe. It is where he has placed you, your world. Preach the gospel. Now, some people, right, missionaries, he does call to other parts of the world, and they make that part of the world their world. But it still applies. Go. It's an action. Do it into your world and preach the gospel. Number three is preach. Let's talk about that for a second, right? How many of you, by a show of hands, have heard something along the lines of preach the gospel and if necessary, use words? It's bull. It's bull crap. Preach the gospel, use your words and your actions to back them up. That's what matters. Use your actions to get people to ask you. I'm not saying that you should just walk into McDonald's after service today and go, you're all sinners and Jesus loves you. Come to church. You'll probably get asked to leave the McDonald's at that point. However, and I'll leave him nameless, but there is a person in this church who goes to Pump and Pantry almost every day and prays for people, and leaves tracks and stuff like that, and therefore has had some conversations with people about Christ. His actions led to his words, and his actions back up his words. That's what you're supposed to be doing. It's not a, just use words if you have to. Use your actions and your words, and preach it. The other thing you can do is try your best, and I say try because you're not going to be perfect at it, your best to point everything back to Christ in Scripture in some way, right? Mom is excellent at this. She teaches art and Spanish at Faith Mountain. And everything she teaches, she brings it back to the gospel in some way. Now, she's had a lot of practice at it. She's good at it. Bring it back. Make people annoyed by how much you talk about the Bible. Not by the words that you say. They shouldn't go, I can't believe I have to hear this again. It should be, man, he is talking, she is talking about Scripture and about the Bible and about what God says all the time. It doesn't mean you should be like, wow, that's a touchdown. Let's, in, in Philippians 8.3, Jesus scored a touchdown. No, he didn't. Philippians doesn't have eight chapters. Choose a different book of the Bible. If you're ever wondering, if you're trying to get somebody to believe that there's something in the Bible that there's not, right? It is um, Hezekiah in the Old Testament. If you're trying, you say Hezekiah 4.9 says this, right? 
And in the New Testament, it's 3 Timothy. You go, 3 Timothy 4.13 says this. And most people won't go, there's only two letters to Timothy. Where are they getting a third one? And some people will even go, I don't think there's a Hezekiah, book of Hezekiah, but that name is in there. It is in there. So you can fool some people with that, just so you know, if you're ever wondering if you want people to believe there's stuff in Scripture. You probably shouldn't, but, you know, whatever. Well, Hezekiah 4.9 says, yeah, if it gets them in the church. No. <laughs> no. But the fact of the matter is, you preach it with your words and with your actions. And then lastly, both sections talk about baptism. Now, we've talked about baptism a myriad of times. Baptism is not a requirement to get to heaven. If you are not baptized, it does not mean you go to hell, right? Let's put that out there. Now, it is commanded in Scripture to be baptized, but it is not a prerequisite to heaven. The point of baptism is a few things. One, it is an outward sign of the inward change that you have made. It is a declaration to the people around you. It's why you should not get baptized, just you and the person who's baptizing you. It can be that way, but it should be in front of Christians. A body of believers that is your body of believers that you can you baptize and you are telling your entire congregation, you're telling the world, I've made a choice and I'm following after Jesus. Right, we're gonna sing the song, Christ is enough tonight, and I love it. The bridge just starts with, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. That's what baptism is. You are proclaiming, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. It also symbolizes Jesus' death and resurrection. It symbolizes you being washed and made clean and whole and stuff like that. It's got some other symbolism, but we're supposed to do it because it is an identifying factor of us as believers, Two other believers. Yes, we don't get a tattoo that we can be like, hey, look right here. See, I'm a believer like you, right? But to your body of believers that you're with, it is a, it is a, a sign that you are a Christian. It's not on your note sheet, so you're going to have to take your own. But I want to spend just a couple more minutes and talk about the passage in Romans. Because these notes have been mainly about Matthew and Mark. These verses in Romans are some of my favorite in all of Scripture. How will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Now, creation itself proclaims God, right? Creation itself proclaims God. Creation itself does not proclaim Jesus died for your sins and rose again on the third day and you need him in order to get to heaven. It does proclaim God, which means there is no excuse for, for people to not accept God. But that very, very important detail about Jesus, that requires you and me. God did it that way on purpose. He could have made creation to proclaim Jesus Christ died and rose again. He could have done it that way. He didn't. He made it so that you and I, they can't truly deny the existence of God. And then you and I are to bring them the knowledge of the Savior. How will they believe? How will they call on him and who they have not believed, right? How can they call on God if they don't even believe in him? How can they believe in him if they have not heard? And how can they hear if Christians keep their mouths shut? In the face of oppression, in the face of opposition, in the face of anything 
how will they hear unless Christians speak up? That's what Paul, or yes, Paul, that's what Paul is saying here. And then he says, and how will they preach unless they are sent? They have been sent. You see, these all, Paul loves to ask questions that have answers. And then questions that don't have answers. But most of the time, the questions that have answers, he doesn't actually answer. We're supposed to infer them for ourselves, right? So let's look at it. How can they preach if they haven't been sent? Well, we just read in two separate Gospels, Jesus himself sent out believers. So they have been sent. How will they hear unless there are preachers? Well, there are preachers. And there are preachers who are proclaiming the gospel. And I do not mean, to be clear, people in the pulpit. It is believers that are called to preach, not just preachers. There are preachers who speak. And how can they believe if they haven't heard? Well, they have heard. And now it's on them. Are they going to believe because they've heard? And call on him. You and I cannot force people to do that. Boy, I mean, I'm sure some of you understand this. I understand this. When Paul writes and says, I would give up my salvation for the entire nation of Israel to be saved. A lot of you in here have kids, have had kids, have grandkids, stuff like that. You know what it's like to go, I'd give up everything if it meant they were going to heaven. But the fact of the matter is, you and I cannot force people to believe. We can't. We can do our darndest to show them, to preach to them, to show them love, to show them God. And if they choose not to believe, they are not believing. We still have to go. We still have to go into the world and preach. Because there are some who will. Some of you in here might go, well, pastor, I thought you were a Calvinist. Don't you believe in predestination? I do. We'll get into that a, a different time. But the fact of the matter is that the medium God has chosen to get people to know him is you and me. So whether you believe in predestination or not doesn't matter because it's still up to us to go and speak it to the people who need to hear it. And the people who need to hear it are right outside those walls. To our, well, my left, your right, at the fire hall. Across the street at the New Milford Borough Building. At the Parkview, right? At the Queen of Hearts. At, well, New Milford is not open anymore. Um, at New Milford Hardware, right? At the post office, at the library. They might be in your very house. Makes it sound like it's a horror movie. I think they're in your house with you. They are all around us. You have a mission. It is your number one priority. Straight from the big man upstairs. He literally gave it to you. He handed it to you. Are you going to tell God no? If you are, let me know. Because I'd like to be in a different state if I could. I'm not saying God's got bad aim, but he might just zap you strong enough. It might get me too, so I'm headed out. Exactly. I'm not saying that we shouldn't help each other with our sin, right? We talked about that last week when we ended James. I am saying that when it comes to an unbeliever, the major driving force for us should not be to make them moral or the way that we see moral. The major driving force for us should be 
do you know Christ? Let me show you Christ. And then let him deal with their sins. He's still, if anybody in here, by a show of hands, is, any, is Jesus done dealing with any of anybody's sin in here? No? Well, that's good. I'm glad that we have no liars in here. Our job is to make disciples, to go into the world, to preach the gospel. Once they are saved, yeah, we should deal with some sin. If somebody gets saved and they're still a kleptomaniac, we should probably talk about that. If they're a kleptomaniac before they're saved, I don't really care. I just want to show them Jesus. And then we'll deal with it. And that is our primary job to unbelievers. We've spent years talking about our primary job to ourselves, to God, and to other believers. This is our primary job to the unbeliever. And I personally, some of you might disagree with me, that's fine. I personally believe it is the most important job that we have. I think it's the most important job that we have is to preach the gospel to unbelievers. Because I want as many people to be there. Good thing is, right, I don't like crowds. That's not true. I love crowds. I like to be on a platform in front of crowds. I don't like to be in a crowd. The great thing is, heaven's not going to be crowded no matter how many people are there. So I just want to take as many people with me as I can when we go. And before I get there, I want to know that I've preached the gospel to as many people as I could. Because that's what Jesus told me to do. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you lay out very clearly what it is you want us to do, both in, in working in our own lives, both in our, in, our, in, in our worship of you, and in our lives with other believers, but also in how we interact with unbelievers. I thank you that you have given us this incredible job, this incredible mission of preaching the gospel, the greatest story ever told. And you've given us the, the privilege of being the storyteller. I pray that you would give us all boldness and strength and wisdom in how to speak and when to speak, who to speak to. Father, we praise you, we love you. Um, and it's in the name of your son we pray. Amen and amen.